Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Recast, the podcast from Remit Consulting. In this episode, we'll be talking about the changing high street, carrying beds down Oxford Street, and the classic consultancy cliche. We'll also be hearing from Lorna Landell's Remit's newest recruit about our latest research on returning to the office. Welcome to Recast, the regular podcast from Remit Consulting. I am Kat Lewis, Head of Business Development for Remit Consulting, and I'm once again joined by PR wizard Andrew Barber or Paddy. So Paddy, what's been the highlight of your week so far? The highlight of my week? Oh, (laughs) gosh, nothing like uh, catching me unawares. Highlight of my week (laughs) has been, shameless plug here, the launch of my uh, NetYield's new web service, which is called Realizer. And I will tell you more about that another time, perhaps. But uh, yeah, that's been the highlight of my week. What's the highlight of your week? Oh, I actually, I was going to, I was planning to catch you unawares and I haven't actually thought about it. Um, it's, it's probably that I'm, that I'm now back in London um, and, and kind of seeing people again, sun is shining, rosé is flowing. Um, yeah, that's probably the highlight for me. Well, welcome back from Wales. That's good. Thank so you. what news has been catching your eye? Well, there is one article that I actually I saw this morning and I've just absolutely, it's really captured my imagination. Um, and that is about the Amazon salons. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen seen this stuff, but it's um, Amazon have opened a salon in Spitalfields and they are, it's, it's only for Amazon employees at the moment, but they are then planning to roll it out to the public over the next few weeks. And basically it's this idea of, it's um, uh, you can go in and you can try on different hair colours using the Amazon tech and you can, they, I think they've got it like an iPad type, well, probably not an iPad, but you know, they've got this. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they've definitely got... won't well they may be they may use them who knows tablets but, let's call them yeah, tablets they've got they've got a tablet um with this like point and look technology so you can kind of point to what you want and then get the information about it which which sort of is absolutely against everything that my parents ever taught me about not pointing um but there you go so these are hair salons these are hair salons, yeah. So I'm the reason why I, you can tell I'm absolutely buzzing about this whole concept, and the reason why is that I just think it's a really, really clever marketing ploy, um, because I know we've we've spoken a lot about removing barriers to access um, to active travel in previous podcasts and in our retail webinars, and this is removing barriers to access to Amazon's tech because they are getting people in, they're receiving a service, but also at the time they're sampling all of these different options which they can then use in their day-to-day life uh it i just think it, it really appeals to kind of the younger generation the not wanting to make decisions without trying them um i know my the the fringe that i had cut in lockdown was a snap decision that many people thought i should have regretted um and imagine if i could have tried it on in an amazon salon so presumably they're using things like virtual reality and and uh, augmented reality to show what your hairstyle could look like 
Absolutely, yes. That and they're really. I think I just think that it's a beautiful way of capturing imaginations, and I think they've also got a kind of an experience sort of a, a place to take photos and post them on your social media, which is really going to appeal to to sort of generation. Is it Generation Z now? Um, I, I've lost count. I'm, I don't know which. <laughs> <coughs> I don't know difference between Generation Z, X, and uh, millennials and all the rest of it. I'm confused. But th- that's presumably if they're going to roll it out to the public. Do you know if they have plans to do this outside of London, or is it just a a sample of what they can do at this stage because clearly there would be implications for high streets up and down the land if they were to roll this technology out across the country i think at the moment it's it's a sample kind of a a test case but what i do think is really interesting you're right it's about the changing high street and it's we've been talking for ages about this customer experience type role of of your of your retail and, and your high street shops and and I think it's really interesting to see that actually be so thoroughly embraced by a brand which is a tech brand, not a hairdresser's. Yeah, well, let's face it, the high street does certainly need a little bit of a boost. The the other one which I saw, which again I just thought was really quite exciting, um, there's there's a rumor going around that IKEA are going to procure Topshop's Oxford Street flagship store. Wow. Um, and well, I actually thought I'd ask you, Paddy. What is the largest thing you've ever carried down Oxford Street? The largest thing I've ever carried down Oxford Street. Um, I once had to have a trolley full of printing paper, which I had to <laughs> had to march down uh, Oxford Street, sort of Regent Street, Oxford Street, get get on the tube. I seem to remember <laughs> that was probably a pretty awkward thing to do at rush hour. I have to say. Yes. Yeah, so how how enjoyable was that experience? Not at all enjoyable. In fact, I went. I, I think, I, if I'm honest, I snuck out and went down some of the back alleyways just to uh, <laughs> avoid the crowds. I think. I think mine is. I have a really, really large blue suitcase, which is. Um, it's sort of. It, it. It's about waist height on me, and um, and and yeah, lugging that down Oxford Street um, on the way. Actually, on the way to Expo, um, um, from work was was a an experience. But what I what I really think about this is that. If IKEA is opening a store, presumably they are not expecting people to carry flat pack furniture. No, down I can't Oxford imagine. Street. I can't imagine people going and saying, "I'll have that kitchen." Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So, so what that really means to me is that they are also embracing this, providing an experience to their customers, and and kind of looking at it as as an experience space. Which reminds me, and I, I do apologize if if any of my listeners are the person who told me this story, I would I would love to know who it was because I just oh, can't, I can't remember. Can't wait for this. <laughs> but um, a few years ago, at a property networking event, we stood next to the coffee table, and a gentleman told me a story about how he had been backpacking around America, and he had tried on trainers in an Under Armour store, in I think it was Florida. And he tried on these trainers and it was the whole store was designed kind of like to look kind of like a golf club. And you could try on your trainers and practice your golf swing or, or um, practice playing tennis and all of these all of these things. And he said then, uh, you know, a month or so later, he was in New York and his trainers broke and he bought Under Armour because he, of the experience they provided him with. He felt some loyalty and he thought, yeah, those trainers, actually, they were really good for my golf swing. 
So he, he went in on the basis of being able to try his golf swing in a in a shop, had a good experience, tried on some trainers, and a month later he bought those trainers on that basis. Exactly. It, it says a lot for the branding and well done Under Armour. <laughs> it, it does. And, and I think that that's, it's something that we've talked about a lot as well is that uh, for, for kind of higher more, uh, higher value goods more expensive things you you don't want to just buy them people want to see and touch them rather than just buying them online as this mystery person who you can't remember in america <laughs> did so if you are that person and you're listening please make contact with cat lewis <laughs> i would i would love to kind of close that off in my brain because it, it comes up quite a lot but yeah, so sorry, back to Ikea. There's a lovely quote that says they're looking to introduce their vibrant urban destinations into a list of about 40 major city centres around the world. And they're not doing this cheaply either. Topshop's Oxford Street flagship store was actually valued at 500 million two years ago. And the price tag on it now is 420 million. So they're really, they're taking this, this experience provision very seriously. Yeah. And this makes me think that they think it's going to be profitable. I wonder what the implications are if other retailers go down this retailtainment kind of route of having showrooms and what happens if they combine this with a kind of turnover mentality, turnover rent mentality, because there was that work that was done by Workman some time back, a research uh, document about impact on investors and investments within real estate. Yeah, I really think that there's that issue, isn't there? If if you can't work out, if you can't delineate where the sales have come from, whether they are online or in store, how can you work out the turnover of a store and therefore how can you work out the turnover rent? Yeah, it's really difficult because with things such as click and collect, where is the transaction? Is it done online? Does it count against the shop where the goods are collected from? It It is a minefield. It is indeed, but I do think that I, I mean, you know me, Paddy, I'm, I'm always trying to look on the bright side. And I do think it's very easy to kind of list these problems and feel very doom and gloom about the future. But actually, I think we should see this as an opportunity to innovate. Property people have historically always been very good at coming up with solutions. And all, all of these changes following the pandemic are really giving a, a good opportunity to shine for the companies that are willing to adapt. And I think we've seen that also in throughout the pandemic, that the companies that have been willing to try their hand at something new, change their tack, change their perspective, have been able to thrive. Now, I know you don't like all doom and gloom, Cat, but I've got another problem for you. And that was the report that came out recently from PwC on a survey of corporate occupiers, which showed that across the UK, half of the major businesses interviewed or took part in the survey are looking to cut office space and it's up to 64% in London. And I, I saw that article too, Paddy, and I saw that Property Week gave that, that kind of scary comparison that a third of those who are looking to cool their footprint want to do so by 30% and they, they said that that was the equivalent of 14 walkie-talkie buildings, which is kind of scary. It is kind of scary, but we sometimes have to play with the cards we're dealt. Indeed. And in light of this news, I thought it would be fitting to have a look at the, the actual figures for people returning to offices. I have heard even this morning, I've seen articles with various things from there's going to certainly be a five day return to the office to another headline, actually the same news outlet that said no one will ever go back to the office. So there's lots of thoughts and feelings floating around and a little bit of scaremongering, I think, in places. And so Remit Consulting has recently launched Return, 
which is research on the actual numbers of people heading into the offices. So I thought I'd catch up with Lorna Landells, who's leading the survey, to talk about what it is, what its aims are, and why it's relevant to the property industry. Okay, well, let's have a listen to see what Lorna said. Today, we're joined by Lorna Landells, who has recently joined Remit from a global top surveying firm. Previously, Lorna has worked on a range of corporate services from private individuals through to organisations such as Royal Mail on assets in EMEA and from Stornoway to Land's End, including Northern Ireland. She's now leading our research in Appetite for Returns to the Office and we're thrilled to have her with us today. Thank you, Kat. It's good to be with you and Paddy today. Good to have you. <laughs> Great to see you. So, Lorna, Return sounds super duper interesting. Can you tell me a bit about how it came about? Well... What happened initially was that um, Remit had a desire to get some real statistics into how many people were returning to the office. There's been an awful lot in the news and it swings and roundabouts, people saying everyone's going back, people saying no one's going back. And so Remit was very keen at the outset to see if we could get some real data on what was happening as the lockdown eased. This was then helped by the fact that the Windsor Group um, now known as the Property Advisors Forum, and the British Property Federation coincidentally came forward and asked us if we would be interested in running this research as an independent party. How much data is being collected and analysed? Well, at the moment, we're still in quite early days. Uh, we're about four weeks in now, four or five weeks in. and But we've managed to accrue 100, over 140 buildings in nine of the UK's major cities. Um, just a, a call out there, anybody got a building in Belfast, we really do want to include Belfast in this research. And so what we're doing is we're asking the building managers just to collect the daily data of people who occupy that building, attending the office, people who are visiting the building, and also car parking spaces being used. So how is that being recorded itself? Are they phoning you with the results? or? No, no, we've, um, we've set up a portal. We've tried to make it as easy as possible for people to help us with this study because the, the key is compliance and we need as much data as possible and as clean a data as possible. So keep it simple and then people will, will help you. So we've set up a portal with the great help of a guy at SoftForge and he has made it so that every week the building manager in each building inputs the data for each day of that week. Then come Friday night over the weekend, Darren Yates, who's doing the, he's doing the hard graft here. He and I download the report from the portal, and then we do all our analysis. What we're looking at specifically is the, the attendance, obviously, but we're looking to see if there's a trend across different days of the week. And there is, as you can probably guess, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, with a significant drop-off on Friday and not much take-up on a Monday. We're also looking to overlay weather pattern because a lot of people are concerned about public transport. And so their idea of active travel is great when the sun's shining, not so great when you've got a force nine wind and rain. So that obviously impacts it as well. Better to stay at home on those days. Uh, we're looking at the um, infection rates in the key cities and also the vaccination rates. So, for example, um, recently one of the cities, Cardiff, had a huge uptick in attendance. Um, but I believe that Wales has been particularly proactive in its vaccination programme. Don't know, can't say that's the reason. Could be just a correlation. 
but who knows that's really exciting though Lorna because that then should give us that really accurate picture of of what's happening in true time rather than just sort of uh, data without a story I was just wondering whether you'd mind giving us a little sneak preview of some of the results uh, well I yes absolutely I would because it would be a bit off if I said no comment at this point, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the results are quite slow. They're gathering momentum, but they're round about the 10% mark and creeping up by a couple of percentage points each week. Um, bearing in mind that the actual beginning of the easing of lockdown was only on May the 17th, so not that long ago. We're expecting to see more people returning to work post the whatever the date is, June um, easing as well. And as the weather gets better, people start thinking, oh, I can cycle to work. And I, I remember you said as well that um, basically since the lockdown's officially eased, it's been half term for, for one type of school or another. So that's exactly. that it's affected it as well, don't yes, we? That's we'll, very true. That's very true. We also had the bank holiday weekend, didn't we? <laughs> the other week, which, all in, uh, yes, all in all, I could think that the gods are against us on this. But overall, we've got a huge amount of data. We've probably got the biggest access to office buildings in city centres or in business districts, shall we say, um, of anybody. And the fact that we aggregate the data means that it's all completely anonymous and it means we can actually do some real trend analysis because we haven't got different buildings vying against each other or certain landlords saying, oh, my buildings are better than anyone else's. It's it's working very well. I, I expect to see much more of, a, of an ability to pick out trends the longer we go on. But presumably as well then, the participants, if they wanted to, would be able to look at their own data against the aggregated reports that we produce and benchmark themselves? Absolutely, because what we do is we produce a weekly report which breaks down the attendance by city, the attendance over the days of the week, as I said, and also by district within the bigger cities. So... Um, certainly London, Manchester, Birmingham, we have different business districts. Oh, and Bristol as well because of Aztec Centre, Aztec West as was. Um, we, people will be able to see how their building sits against the aggregated data. So before we were talking a little bit about how there are so many opinions on this return to the office, willingness, enthusiasm, likelihood, all of this stuff, I've, I was saying to Paddy, um, I've seen like a single news outlet with three different perspectives on it just this morning. So without, you know, this this data is going to give us um, actual factual views on this. But um, so without speculating too much, Lorna, is there anything else that you think is really impacting willingness and and what, what do you think, which way do you think the wind is blowing? I'd, I'd have to say demographics, certainly because there's been an awful lot of research into this anyway, so I'm not saying anything new, but the baby boomers are the ones who are least enthusiastic about going back to work because they have comfortable houses. They've realised that actually it's quite nice not doing the daily commute in from Guildford. Um, it, it's different, whereas the people who are living in flats, maybe working off a laptop in their bedrooms, they're going to want to go back. And then there's the social aspect as well. Um, I'm a bit of an anomaly because I'm in the sort of former category, but actually I miss the social interaction. So I think it's going to be very interesting, if we can, to then develop the study out and start looking at the demographics, start asking the occupiers 
what is your what is your typical demographic? I would imagine that someone like Facebook has probably got quite a young workforce, so they're probably more likely to get people coming into the office. And then, of course, then, of course, you've got the fact that the um you know, actually just very recently over 25s is the age group that they're vaccinating. So presumably there's going to be a kind of a, or potentially there's a, a group of people who are keen to get back into the office but don't quite feel safe and who will be becoming vaccinated in the next few weeks. And that might give us an influx as well, that, won't it? That certainly would, which is why we're already looking at vaccination rates to see if that's having an impact. But certainly the um, there are certain corporates who have, their policy is nobody comes back into the office. Or conversely, every, we want everyone at their desk five days a week. And that obviously has an impact because it will skew the data. But if we can get to the bottom of those sort of reasons or those variables, then that will help us understand better what's really going on, which in turn should help people plan their future office space, their current office space, whether they invest further into office space and workspace and so forth. And I've said far too many spaces. <laughs> there's also that issue isn't there of the the age and style of the buildings that people are returning to and i know that the study is looking at i'm going to use the word prime offices and i know it's not all prime offices not super prime but there will be age variations and design variations and i'm guessing there are some buildings which just don't lend themselves so well to uh, socially distance working and that could also have an impact so until people feel comfortable with going back to sort of fairly tightly packed offices uh, I'm guessing that will also impact the figures that yeah. you're seeing. I think it probably will. Um, my personal view is that public transport is going to play the biggest part in this because I, I can't remember the exact statistics so even though I'm going to say it God help anyone who quotes it it's something like in London, 80% of people use public transport, and it's almost exactly the opposite of that outside of London. So if you have to use public transport to get to work, that's definitely going to have a big impact on whether you go in or not. Yeah, I can see that because, quite frankly, and I'm a baby boomer, so I can say this, the thought of travelling into Waterloo and then travelling on the Waterloo city line in the rush hour which I've done many, many, many times in the past. Right now, I just can't see me doing that. I'm, I'm more no. likely to, to walk to the city or cycle across the West End or whatever well, it is. Well, one of the other things that we're going to be looking at next is the timing to see if people are staggering their arrival at the office because we believe that to be true, but like many of the other statistics that are randomly quoted, we haven't got any evidence for it yet. But hopefully we'll have evidence of that in time as well. The the other thing that I'm really well, I've got a personal interest in anyway, but um is is another demographic which I don't know if you guys have heard of, the the boomerangers. The boomerangers. The boomerangers, um, which are uh, people like me who are in their twenties and had moved out and then <laughs> have oh, returned to the home family again. home. <laughs> so and I I mean this is very anecdotal, but um of many of my friends are also boomerangers and none of them are thinking about going back to their their various own houses I until September. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think my, my parents are actually moving house to find somewhere where they can have more space away from me. So, <laughs> so 
<laughs> but I but I think that 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 might be interesting. That might be something that will also impact this data. Um, and and the other thing is that boomerangers like myself um, end up coming. So I, for example, go into London in flurries. So I'll do a week where I'm in every day and then I won't be in London for another two months because I find I can especially now things are opening up, I can cram in the meetings and the face-to-face that I need to get done for my job into that sort of condensed period of time. Um, So it'd be interesting if that's reflected at all in the data. It will, or if there's people like me who just crave the accidental social interaction. (laughs) Going to hang around other people's office water coolers. (laughs) Yes, go and talk (laughs) to anybody who'll listen. So before we let you go, Lorna, can you sort of just update us on how people can contact you should they wish to partake in the study? Oh, we would love more people in the study, so please do get in touch. I believe that um, my email address will be linked to this podcast. So, yeah, we welcome anyone, and particularly Belfast. Did I mention Belfast? I think I mentioned Belfast. (laughs) You may have mentioned Belfast. Just once or twice, and I'm going to mention it again, that's Belfast. Northern Ireland, please. Anyone with any buildings in Belfast, get in touch. But no, any any city in the UK, because the more data we have, we're aggregating it and it, it just makes all the difference. We're actually coming up with real data. And of course, the results can be viewed on the website, which is return.remitconsulting.com. Thank you very, very much, Lorna. Um, oh, I'm sure you're I'm sure you've got number, numbers to go and look at now. <laughs> oh, um, yes. So my life is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you go but thank, thank you, you. Yeah, well thank you a- both as well it's been absolutely fascinating thank you very much so it was a fascinating interview with Lorna regarding people's reluctance or desire to return to the office if there is anyone who would like more information on return the webpage is return.remitconsulting.com and we will be providing Lorna's email address with this podcast. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear about the initiative and how the data is developing. And now, for the first time ever on Recast, we've got some breaking news. I don't know if you've seen this yet, Paddy, but it's come in while we've been recording that the government moratorium on the eviction of tenants for non-payment of rent due to COVID has been extended until March 2022. Yes, I've just seen that. That will be two years since the moratorium was first introduced. It's going to be very, very challenging, I think, for landlords to deal with this. According to the latest uh, remark figures, which we've been pushing out in the last few days to the press, the total rent, which has so far been missing, if I can put it that way, to landlords, will by the end of this quarter, we're predicting total £6.377 billion. That's nearly £6.4 billion over the last 15 months. Crikey. And I think that this extension of the moratorium, it'd be interesting to see what the reactions are from people like the British Property Federation. But in my mind, this is kicking the can further down the road and the problems are not going to go away and they will only build. That's my, it, my humble opinion. Yeah, it will be really interesting. I know we've spoken a lot about this kind of can't pay, won't pay divide. And it'll be fascinating to see how this this extension of the moratorium interacts with the comments from the courts in the Westfield and the fragrance shop judgment, which we discussed on the last podcast, uh, where the court said that it is not a charter for people who don't want to pay rent. So it'll be really interesting to see how they how they mesh up. 
Well, maybe for the next podcast, we can get one of the Remark team, maybe Steph or Laura, back on to have a chat with us and tell us how it's going. Because if we keep to our timescales, it will be a couple of weeks after the June quarter day. And it'd be fascinating to see what this latest news, uh, what impact it has upon rent collection rates going forward. So, Kat... Following the breaking news, um, we're now at the tail end of the podcast and it is now traditional for me to ask you about Cat's cliché. Now, you emailed me the other day and said you've got a cracker, so looking forward to this one. <laughs> well, I don't want to build it up too much, but if people have listened to us for this long, um, I hope they're in for a treat. Uh, so this is one that a lot of management consultants will be familiar with. I'm going to I'm going to sort of give you a bit of a scene to imagine. You're going to paint the picture. I am indeed. So, picture the scene. You're at a networking event or maybe a conference, perhaps you're at MIPIM one day years in the future. And you're asked what you do. And you reply management consultancy. And your conversational counterpart smiles, slowly takes off their watch and hands it to you and says Oh, go on. Tell me the time then. <laughs> okay. Has that, has that happened to you many times? <laughs> Definitely more than once. Oh, dear. <laughs> but the thing that I actually want to draw out from that is that I don't think it should be considered a bad thing. A watch is really a matter of personal preference and individual needs. And businesses are just the same. You know, we've all been there when you buy a new watch and, it, and it's not the same as your old one and you're not quite sure how you've changed the time or it's got extra dials on it that look nice, but you don't know what they do and how they might enrich your life. And it's the same where often clients are not fully exploiting the capability of their systems and tech or, or actually of their staff to the maximum benefit. And we can show them how and help them. Um the other, the other thing where, where I think that they, the metaphor really, really links up is that a key part of any consultancy job is getting to grips with the idiosyncrasies of the business that you're helping and bringing a new, removed and experienced perspective. To take my watch metaphor, let's consider the less punctually gifted amongst us, people who purposely set their watch to be a few minutes fast so that they're on time for things. If I come in with my watch, which is on time, and keep telling them, no, you're wrong, this is what you should do, this is right, then that's going to completely derail their life. We also hold a lot of workshops with client teams, which are invaluable for gathering this information and can point us to previously unseen pain points to resolve. Think of these like checking, checking in at the mechanism of your watch. Sometimes you'll have noticed a symptom of a problem. Maybe your watch is running a little slow. You've got a sticky second hand. But other times you might not have noticed at all. But when you look in, you'll see that some of the gears aren't quite meshing up right. And that can ultimately cause a failure. And so on. also on this point, the staff are, of our client teams know their organisations inside and out and how things really work. And they're more often than not a company's finest asset. A nice watch is kind of the same, and thus both should actually be made use of. And finally, one, one more thing for you on this, okay. on this extended metaphor. I want to make the point that unless your consultants can use what you already have to enhance your ability to tell the time, 
you risk becoming reliant on consultants because your own assets can't fulfill the need. Um, if you imagine that you're wandering through town and your battery's flat and you need to ask someone in the street for the time, it isn't very long again before you need to ask another person and another and another until you've actually got to where you want to go. And part of our approach as consultants is to interact with your teams and your systems and what you have got in your business to fix what needs to be fixed and then to leave you to it until the next time you need a trusted advisor rather than you paying us to come along for the ride and continue to tell you the time every five minutes. Gotcha. That's a good one. <laughs> so so that's my that's my watch cliche. Um I've I've been thinking about this one for for years. So um so if anyone wants more detail, I'm more than happy to share. Okay. That's good. Well I think that's uh, our time for today. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> for your cliche but also bringing us the breaking news and thanks again to Lorna Landells for talking to us about the return project um Kat I will see you soon thank you so much Paddy and uh, if any of our listeners would like to let me know if they'd like if they liked my cliche or if they would like to hear anything specific on the next podcast please do tweet me at remit cat and all the links we've mentioned in today's show will be linked to the podcast thank you for listening 